We are no holds barred this week. Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk to walk, and walk it too. And today, we have a special episode for you. We're going to do something new. We're going to start a new thing. From now on, every month, I'm just baptizing by fire with explaining this. So right on. Once a month, we're going to have an open discussion episode, just to sort of anything goes. Talk about whatever, anything laid on our heart any revelations that we've had, anything he's been showing us, anything we want to talk about in current events, whatever. I'm not going to not gonna hold anything back. Right on. We're going to call it No Holds Barred. I love it. In honor of Ronnie's love of wrestling. <laughs> he's not with us tonight, but he'll appreciate it next time he's here. And the reason we're going to do this tonight is we've had some circumstances behind the scenes hit, kind of hit us in our scheduling and stuff, so we really don't have the time that I would like to dedicate to continuing our discussion from a couple weeks ago with mm-hmm. the intent, the God's intent for his covenant people. So we'll just do this instead. Right. We'll just sort of talk out whatever we feel like talking like out it. and see how it goes. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's edifying <laughs> for those of you listening and not painful. If, if nothing else, maybe we can make you laugh at us. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, right on. It'll be fun. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah. And as you heard, it is just Chris and I. Yep. Back in the saddle, yep. man. This is nostalgic, you know, ain't it? It is nostalgic. It's it, Our setup's different yeah. as far as our seating arrangement, but yeah, old times. I should have shifted. I told Chris before the recording, for those of you listening, that I, I, we have ourselves set up for a third or fourth person across from us, and now we're just sitting next to each other, kind of weird and awkward, yeah. kind of twisted over, trying to just look at each other and pretend there's somebody else in the room. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's it's little like, yeah, it's like you, know, you go out to your friends and eat, and you get sat at a booth. Yeah. And then like the one or two people leave at the booth and it's just two people like, oh, this is awkward. We're sitting way too close. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're on a date. <laughs> you got a joke for us? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I do. So what kind of light did Noah use on the ark? Hmm. I don't know. You stumped me. Floodlights. <laughs> Yes, I gotta laugh. You got me. I should have known that. That was really good. It's real simple, but it works every time. Did well, you see? Oh, go ahead. I know it's funny. The the place I got it from went into this big long explanation about you know on the very top of the ark it, there was a small house with two windows on each side and that light light into the top side. But I'm like, okay, okay, I'm just gonna cut to the bottom. Just right, right, <laughs> cut the joke off right at the bottom, right at the punchline. I like it. <laughs> That's how it should be. Right on. Just see Bob Saget died? Yes, I did. That's sad. I was pretty sad about that. A lot of deaths. Yeah, that's we. it's funny you mentioned that. Me and Holly were having that conversation the other day about like our childhood is disappearing person by person. It is. I was just, I drove, we drove back home this weekend for a funeral. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. It hit pretty hard. I, did, I wasn't super close to them. Right. Super, really close to their family. You know uh, what I mean? it's the Richard. person, the memorial you went to? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Richard's mother-in-law. Okay. Pastor. Right. 
I don't know. It hit. It hit hard. It didn't. It didn't hit me until I got there. I thought I was okay with it, and then I don't know, sitting there, and I think that's a lot of it. It's just, it's like a a piece of your past dying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just. It's almost like these people become fixtures in your life, right? Even though you're not super close to them, kind of drift away a little bit, and I don't know. Then they're just gone. It's a sad world we live in. Yeah, it really is. But there's hope for a better world to come. Right. That's important to remember that. But man, right. it is it is a sad world we're in right now. Yep. I was just talking to Mike about that the other day. It seems like there's so many people dealing with so much loss mm-hmm. right now and so much pain and sickness and suffering. I don't know if it's because of the world circumstances that you just notice it more. Right. Or if it really is kind of ramped up. It feels more, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, you know, and you've kind of touched on this where um, you know, with the, with the change that God made in your heart, you become softer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's, it's accumulation of, that's not a word, accumulation. Accumulation. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Accumulation. There. Sorry. It's an accumulation <laughs> of, uh, you did a Joe. Yeah. None of you listening will get that joke. <laughs> Hopefully Joe listens. All right. Um, it's an accumulation of, you know, a couple of circumstances, but I think you just, when you, when your heart gets that way, you feel things, yeah, more, you know, more d- deeper. You know, I know when when you know after my daughter was born, things that you know, like Disney movies, make me tear up now. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of like it's crazy to think that you know that one event in your life can can soften you that much, but it does. It's a transformation, and that's actually, you know, and we'll get into this as we go. That was one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on for our open discussion here was the the transformation that he puts you through. And we've talked about this. There was a time in my life that I was pretty callous. It was it was hard for me to cry for people I knew right. sometimes. And now people I barely know really hurts, you yep. know. And I think it's the difference between having that, that calloused heart and then having his heart. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Feeling what he feels. Or at least a measure. I don't think I don't right. think any of us could survive a day feeling what he really feels about some of this. But right. I think he gives us a taste of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's more. It's not so much that you know before on the other side of that you're you just think oh well, you know that person didn't really impact my life and you go on about it. But you know now you, now we look at it as with a way of you know, that's a human being. Mm-hmm. That person had a family, uh, you know, people that love them a life, you know, and it's a sad thing. It is. And I also think there's a measure of, I don't know, I'm not going to step on too many toes. We were talking about it a little bit before we hit record, but just the response to the the certain thing going on in the world and the way the response has been for two years straight, mm-hmm. it's depressing. You know what I mean? Right. I think I think the assault on our mental health is getting to a point where it's more dangerous than the thing that we're trying to protect ourselves from. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Steph and I were talking about that the other day where I was really, I was listening to her talk about it to somebody else and just noticing the, because the, she's a teacher, and noticing the impact that this is having on the psyche of children. Mm-hmm. It's not good people it's really not good i understand that there's concerns and fears and you know you're trying to keep yourself safe but there's more factors to consider right you know what i mean yep 
and that's not to lessen what we were, what we were talking about. I, you know, I think the the big thing is feeling his heart for people. Yep. You know what I mean? But I think it makes it more difficult when you just feel like you're assailed by misery all the time. All the time. Right. There's very little joy in the world anymore. Right. Right now. Yeah, and then, you know, you, you, you couple that with, with somebody that me that has, you know, social anxiety and, and, uh, you know, but it's funny. I am a people person at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I do like interaction. So, you know, it's, you know, you kind of get that catch 22 of, well, you, you, you know, you want to stay safe and, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to miss those events. Right. Right. You know, so just kind of one of those things that I think people out of, I keep hearing the, the, the term out of an overabundance of safety. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, I mean, does that overabundance push into, into other factors? Like, are we actually harming ourselves more than we're, we're helping? At what point does your desire not to die keep you from living? Right. Absolutely. You, you know what I mean? Yep. It just, it doesn't feel like some people are living anymore. Right. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, when you willingly separate yourself from everybody that you care about for months or years on end, and I, I gotta, I gotta ask what you're living for. Right. I'm not living for that. Not me. You know. No, it's and it's so. You know, and that kind of brings up one of the things. You know, I, I kind of was going to talk about was, um. You know, I've always had a, a, a pretty bad habit of. If if you're in my life, I'm communicating with you, mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, you know, when I was in high school, we had all the high school friends all communicating flash forward five years i maybe talked to two people yeah right so you know as you as i've gotten older you know people have come and gone in, in jobs or in various ways where you know life separates people and one of my one of my i say one of my personality flaws is just i don't i don't ever keep in contact with those people mm-hmm. right I'm mad so, about that too. Right. I call in and, and I think that gets construed for you don't care. Exactly. And it's really not it. I just yeah. don't like, I don't like calling. Yeah. <laughs> really and, yeah. and then you get to a point where it's been, it's been so long. You're like, Oh, maybe this person is mad at me because uh-huh. I haven't called. And then you're like, what? and then, you know, and you, so another factor in that is social media. Right. So you see that person on social media and, Oh, they just, you know, they're, they're, partner is sick or their dog died or their car broke down. You're like, Oh, the last thing they need is me getting a hold of them right now. So I'll wait a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then you forget again. So I made it, I made it. I don't know. I don't want to say resolution. I'm not, I'm not a resolutionist, but I do think it's like that word. Like, yeah. A resolutionist. <laughs> I'm coining a bunch of them tonight, <laughs> but, um, you gotta say it with condescension next time. Right. <laughs> resolutionist there you go i'm <laughs> sorry go ahead. no that's all right now the um so one of the things i want to work on is you know make trying to reach out to some of those people mm-hmm. and like i said these aren't and they aren't people that we separate on on bad terms i think maybe one or two of them is but um you know find a way to reach out to those people and it's funny i did and this is the reason that i bring it up was because the person that I reached out to was, was an ex coworker and, um, she had retired, you know, and it's oddly enough, she lives like 
10 miles away from me. I hadn't talked to her in almost a year. Right. Yeah. Cause I got in that minute, you know, I got to that point where I was like, ah, oh, you know, you know, we, we were supposed to make plans and I'm like, ah, oh, it's been so long. Ah, uh, well, you know, this happened and I, I see her on Facebook. I'm like, oh, this happened. And so it's almost like a mode you get into. It's yeah. Out of. Yeah. Right. So you need to just break out of it and just like send that message. Right. So I did texted. Oh, it's so great to hear from you. I was, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, we need to get together and, and, uh, and, and catch up. And, you know, I'm really glad that you could like come find out like she was in a pretty rough spot. Mm-hmm. So she's like, somebody reaching out is exactly what she needed that day. So, and so, and then I, so that, you know, that kind of reassured me that like, you know, take, take the time to, to repair those, to repair those friendships. If right. You like if you're like me, like I said, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm also one of those people that if you know me and you call me anytime, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if you've, even if I've known you five minutes, you got you call me the next day, I'm coming. Yeah. I'm I'm showing up with my toolbox or whatever, whatever you need. I'm there. Let's go. We're rolling. Mm-hmm. Right. So so but then, you know, on the other side is, well, you know, I kinda kinda let some of those people slip through the cracks too. Yeah. So but um I forgot where I was going with that. I've kinda, had a lot of friendships. Looking back, I was kinda thinking about that the other day. Looking right. back, there's a lot of friendships that, that I've let that I valued, you know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. of them, not so much. Some of them, I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> but right. there's some f- friendships that I really valued. And, you know, looking back, it just, you let time get away from you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then when it's been a while, then you almost use the the, the longevity of time between the last time you contacted them to say, eh, well, they probably don't want to hear from me right. after all that time. You know what I mean? So then you just use time as an excuse. Right. And it just turns into a, a perpetual excuse until the friendship just fades. Mm-hmm. It's sad yeah that it's like that but i am like that i wish i wasn't somebody shared a meme like yesterday i think it was that cracked me up and it kind of applies to this and they were like i need those sort of friendships that people can understand that i'm gonna let life get a hold of me for like six months and i'm gonna contact you out of the blue and say hey what are you doing friday yeah you know what i mean (laughs) those are the friends that i need and that's oh yeah man that spoke to me that's exactly what i need need friends that understand (laughs) yeah that you just go on a six-month hiatus you're not mad yeah just that's life right yeah but you know in the in those six months if somebody calls me hey yeah, i'm right there what you need man mm-hmm. so yeah because i'll be i'm I'm the type if you call me out of nowhere even if i haven't heard from you in years and you're like hey you want to get together this weekend yeah 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 right let's on. make it happen sure yeah even if it's somebody that we parted on bad terms right honestly i'm, I'm at a place in my life now where grudges just aren't worth it anymore yeah you know what I mean? I right. just I just don't have it in me to hold grudges anymore. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm too lazy to hold grudges anymore. <laughs> Honestly, like that's a good thing. My memories my memory's too short, and you know I'm like, then and don't get me wrong, that's not I'm not gonna give a personal license just to roll over me all the time. No, no. But you know, like you said, this it's life's too short and. If that person's reaching out to you for that, for a re- they're, they're doing it for a reason. Right. Right. I'm much more forgiving than I used to be. And I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier, having his heart, right. letting him transform you. You right. know what I mean? It's funny you say that because, I mean, there was a point in time where, you know, if somebody, it, 
it it used to be where you know you see that person in Walmart and you're like, oh man, I haven't talked to them in like five years, and I used to used to very much be excited when somebody would be like, hey, how's it going? I'd be like, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Family all right? Yeah, my family's good. All right, good. Good catching up. And then you part ways. Mm-hmm. I used to love those interactions. Yeah. Because I'm like, don't, don't. No fake. No fake. Yep. Don't, don't butter me up with, hey, let's call, call me sometime or whatever. But as, you know, as I, as, you know, I'm kind of turning away from that and getting more into the, to the mindset of, you know, you know, tell me, tell me, what, tell me what you've been doing. What's up? What's, cause I, the last thing that I would want is somebody that that's trying to make that connection and me just kind of brush them off, which I've done yeah, before. I have too. And that's not a very good look. Right. So, and then, and then I drive away from that conversation and I go play over in my head and I'm like, they asked me about Abigail and they have, and they have a kid and I didn't even, I didn't like, you didn't reciprocate any, right. You're just mm-hmm. like, Oh, she's good. Yeah. How's your job going? It's going good. And that's it. That's all. That's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've, and I don't want to be that anymore. Yeah. Right. I beat myself. I know exactly what you're talking about. I beat myself up over it. I I remember there was somebody that, and I won't drop names on the podcast, but there was somebody we went to school with and this was years and years ago. It was when I worked in the prison. So that was what had been eight, nine years ago. At at least. least. Yeah. And I remember we had stopped at a gas station on the way to work. I was carpooling. Right. So we uh-huh. stopped at the gas station on, on the way to get drinks and stuff to bring to bring to the job site. And she got out of the car. You know what I mean? She she moved out of state and she got out of the car. She happened to see me and she got out because she wanted to talk to me and she wanted to see me. And you could tell she was excited. And I was kind of in a hurry. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm going to work and went right into the gas station. Totally blew her off. And Yikes. she was like, oh, OK. And then got back in the car. I kind of thought that she was following inside the gas station, but she just got back in the car and never saw her again. And I've beat myself up over that ever since. Right. And I didn't even really part on the best of terms with her before right. that. But it it really bothers me that that's how I handle that interaction. Right. You know what I mean? I I would never handle it the same way as I did then. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. God changes you, makes you a, a different person. I think he uses those memories to remind you of the way that you were. Right. And the way you probably shouldn't be. Right. In the future. Right. Uh, and yeah, it's teachable moments, right? He's not, I, I don't think, like some people might pray out, you know, take those memories away from me. And I, and I don't think that's what, like, he's not trying to punish you with those memories. No. Right. It's just, it's a teachable moment. Hey, you know, remember, remember that it's, let's not, re, let's not have a repeat of that. Yeah. Right. So I was just talking to somebody earlier today, actually about, it's funny how often this happens we'll have these conversations in the podcast and there's like a conversation that you or I had with somebody else or, uh-huh. or, or something else that just applies perfectly. Right. We were talking about your, uh, circumstance, like your upbringing mm-hmm. circumstances that formed you into the person that you were even bad circumstances. You know what I mean? Exactly. Properly bridled, properly directed form you into the person you are now, you know, and we were kind of talking about the opposite, you know, viewpoint of that, that, you know, at some point you have to stop blaming your childhood and you have to just move on and pretend like it didn't happen. I don't think that's a good thing. I, I don't think pretending even the bad things, pretending the bad things that happened didn't happen because that's part of your formation process. Mm-hmm. I think you put you. I think God puts you in those circumstances to form you into the person He wants you to be. Oh yeah, it Absolutely. takes those circumstances to form you. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, because it gives you contrast, right? About <laughs> right. You know what you don't want to be. I mean, I'll, and I'll be totally honest. There's 
things from my childhood that I can point to and I'd be like, yeah, I definitely don't want to be that. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I kind of, I kind of chuckle with those people at some time, you know, sometimes you just got to take, take account for your own actions. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. But also too, do you understand that you're, you wouldn't be able to act on those actions had you not been the situations you'd been in. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the journey that you took to get to where you are is what is factoring your decisions. Right. Yes. So, cause if you had never, if you had never been led away from the bad things, you would have never known they were bad. You'd have just been rolling in the muck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there there are very few biblical figures. The, these biblical figures we look to is like the giants of the faith mm-hmm. that had just a perfect, pristine background leading up to where they were. Right. Very few. You know, we talked about Joseph recently. The guy spent, what, 14 years in a prison cell? Yep. You know, and I'm sure the enemy did that. That's something I think that, that God let the enemy do to him. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and the enemy meant for it to destroy Joseph. God meant it for his good. Right, it was a formation process. That's mm-hmm. just one of probably dozens of examples we could give throughout Scripture of God allowing His chosen to go through pretty rough circumstances to form them into the person mm-hmm. He needed them to be later for a right. specific plan or dream He had for them to fulfill. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I say we. I actually want to dig into, and it'll be a rehash of somebody that I've kind of had on my heart again. Bet you can guess who it is, biblically speaking, of somebody who went through a rough period, got transformed. Hmm. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. <laughs> we always go back to him, and I can't help it. Every time I struggle, every time the, the enemy tries to remind me of my past, I almost said something a, a couple minutes ago, you know. The things that I've done in my past, I'll be honest, I have a hard time believing that he can forgive me sometimes. Right. It's a struggle for me. It mm-hmm. really is. And it's weird because I can look at people around me knowing they've done worse things than I have, and I have no problem believing that he can forgive them. But for some reason, when it comes to me, I have a hard time believing he can do that for me. Right. It's, it's a weakness the enemy uses, uses against me frequently. Mm-hmm. And I think God allows it because he knows that unless he makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to move. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not proud of that, but right. I'm one of those people that he's got to shake. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And every time I struggle with that, I always go back to giving the spoiler away, King Manasseh. Every mm-hmm. time. Every time I struggle with, with can, can you really forgive me for all the backsliding I've done in my past? Mm-hmm. And he always like brings the same name up in my mind, Manasseh. Forgave him, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, and delivered him. Yeah. So, so since uh, I already gave that away, I wasn't I wasn't going to read the account, but since we're just going to have just a an impromptu discussion today, let's go ahead and read two Chronicles thirty three and just rehash that right if you don't mind. Yeah, no, go for it. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I mind on our no holds bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me get to it here. Rather than just tell people to go back to a previous episode or something like that, let's just read that so we're all on the same page. Because there's a couple things that I want to bring up about him that are new. Like this isn't going to be just a a repeat of our first episode. Takes me a second on my tablet, but guess what you don't hear when I do this? Pages flipping. (laughs) (laughs) Those two Chronicles chapter 33. I'm just going to start from the top. It says Manasseh, and I'm reading from, actually I'm going to switch my verse. I'm going to read from the, the New Living Translation. 
and it says this, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in Yahweh's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that Yahweh had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. Hezekiah was righteous, by the way. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed down before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of Yahweh, the place where Yahweh had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of Yahweh's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in Yahweh's sight, arousing his anger. Just pausing there, essentially, he did about everything you could possibly do to tick God off. <laughs> right. He left very few stones unturned. When it, when it came to things, God said, hey, don't do this thing. He did it anyway. And one of the things I wanted to add to what we've talked about before with Manasseh, and it's, we're not explicitly told this in the text, mm-hmm. right? He's accounted, we've talked about this before, he's accounted here in two Chronicles, and he's also accounted in the book of Kings. Yeah. We're not going to read that one, but it's there too. And we're not told this, but when we do the math of Hezekiah's reign and Manasseh's reign, and a lot of scholars agree with me on this. Now, this is opinion because we're not explicitly told, but a lot of scholars believe that Manasseh actually co-reigned with Hezekiah for 11 years, 11 whole years. And that's why I mentioned that Hezekiah, Hezekiah was righteous. He had, a, he, he had a stumble. Don't get me wrong. Hezekiah stumbled, but he never turned away from Yahweh. He worshiped Yahweh. He loved Yahweh. Yahweh loved him dearly. He's the one that, that um, Yahweh actually sent, I believe it was Isaiah, to tell Hezekiah that he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And Hezekiah wept on his bed and pleaded, pleaded with Yahweh to not kill him, and Yahweh gave him, I think it was 15 extra years to live, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is why Manasseh was born. Right. <laughs> Manasseh wouldn't have been born if it hadn't been for that. But, again, doing the math, he would have co-reigned. And the reason I bring that up is that means Manasseh would have had plenty of time to learn about Yahweh from his father Hezekiah, who served Yahweh, mm-hmm. which means ignorance was an excuse for Manasseh. And I think that's an important thing to remember here, that he wasn't just somebody who never knew about Yahweh, never knew of him, right? Never right. knew how to serve him. He knew. He was taught about Yahweh. He was taught about Yahweh's ways from his righteous father, and he willingly chose to backslide away. And the reason I bring that up is I think some people have the idea from some pastors, from more legalistic pastors, that if, if you backslide, if you believe in Yahweh, then you backslide, you can't be forgiven after that. Right. right. And that's why I bring this up, because Manasseh was clearly backslidden. Right. He wasn't ignorant. Mm-hmm. There was no ignorance excuse here. Right. He, was, he was a backslidden person, and he backslid into some things that were awful, like I just read. Like the, the high point being sacrificing his own children in fire. That's literal. Literally burning them alive. Right. Right. In honor of these, these false gods. I'm talking to you as like, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think it's just, it's an important distinction to understand that he was a backslidden person. Right. And I mean, that theory holds up where, you know, he just didn't, he didn't build the altars just anywhere or, or, you know, or built, you know, basically conduits for the first pagan gods anywhere. Right. He built them in direct defiance of Yahweh. He put them in, 
in temples and in their court in courtyards and all the places where you're not supposed to. Exactly. He like he deliberately went out of his way to put him there. And he knew not to. Like he right. was doing this in the temple of God, and he knew not to. And I'm not I'm not gonna read this entire chapter. I'm gonna skip ahead here in a second, but he he was told by the prophets of Yahweh what he was doing and he was warned multiple. It tells us in the text in, in Kings and Chronicles that Yahweh sent the prophets to Manasseh early and often, over and over and over again, warning him of his sin and warning him to turn back. And he refused. Mm-hmm. So he not only did he have prophets, he probably had priests at the temple that were that were telling, him, Hey, we can't do this. This isn't right. You know, right. obviously not all of them. There were clearly priests that were backslidden too, but there had mm-hmm. to have been somebody that's like, Hey, this ain't he said not to do this. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> this isn't right. You this didn't go good yeah, for us in the desert. Yeah, you can't kill kids here, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, kid, no kid killing here. But he was also warned by the righteous prophets. Right. He knew. Mm-hmm. Right? He was being warned. He knew. Not only did he grow up in Hezekiah's palace, he, he was being warned by the prophets of Yahweh and ignored him, refused mm-hmm. to repent. And then skipping ahead, like I say, those of you listening, read this whole chapter. It's It's amazing. But skipping ahead to verse 11, it says this. So Yahweh sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies. This is, by the way, after it says that he refused to listen to the prophets warning him to repent. Mm-hmm. And they took Manasseh's, they took Manasseh prisoner. Sorry, let me, let me read that again. So, the, so Yahweh sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon. But while in deep distress... Manasseh sought Yahweh his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, Yahweh listened to him and was moved by his request. So Yahweh brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that Yahweh alone is God. And then it says, after this, Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of David from the west of the Gihon Valley. Um, He took the foreign gods that he had set up in, the, in Yahweh's temple. He tore him down. He threw him outside the city. He undid the mistakes that he had made. He went back through and took the paganism that he had established and undid it. Mm-hmm. Right? He shifted. He was transformed, right. I would say. But it took that real low moment. I want to pause there. Do you want to tell your story about about your, your fall for people that don't follow you in faith, on Facebook? Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the lesson that you wanted to share from your little incident this morning. There's something that I want to build on that front. Oh, you don't mind. oh, from the, from the, your little the, slip, the slip this morning. I thought yeah. you meant like, like, I'm like, well, that's going to be a lot like my whole life. <laughs> I'm like my, like me coming back to, 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 to God. And I'm like, well, that's going to take a while, but sure. Let me, no, we can spread it out of a few episodes. Yeah, let, but. <laughs> let me uh, summarize it up in paragraph form. No. Uh, yeah. So this morning I, uh, you know, I've, I've come to realization. It's time to get time to get back to the gym, kind of take control of my, you know, health a little bit more. And, um, so I was, you know, motivation was high going, going out to, and, and all it was, was so I'm, you know, I'm working from home now, so I can't go to my regular gym. So the gym I was going to opens up at six. So I'm like, well, by the time I get there, if I get there at six, I can only work out to like seven. Cause I, I come home, get Abigail, take her to, to school or whatever. So I'm like, it's going to be a short one. Anyways, motivation's high on my way out. 10 feet from my car, slip and fall. 
And I I would like to tell you that I didn't say choice words, but I did. <laughs> and I'm laying on my back in the cold, and I'm just like, that's it. I'm done. Motivation gone. I'm going back inside. And I thought, you know, a long time ago, not, I shouldn't say a long time ago, not not too long ago, a person to I said to a person, man, I really wish I had your motivation. And they looked at me and they said, no, you don't. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're doing a great job. Wish I had your motivation. He's like, no, nope. you wish you had my determination. Motivation comes and goes. Determination is what carries you through the moments of no motivation. So I thought to myself, determination, determination to be, you know, and then so another friend of mine, this kind of kind of rabbit trailing here. I do do what you got it, man. Um, she, you know, she started out the year with, with the mantra of, you know, no crazy fad diets, no crazy workout routines, just consistency, Mm -hmm. show up every day, put the work in, go home. And I thought, man, what a great way, what a great mindset to have. Just be consistent. Everything will come in time if you're consistent. Right. So I was like, so I'm laying there and I think, I got to I got to keep my determ I'm determined to go to be consistent to start cons- it starts somewhere right right and at that point I could have either I could have easily went inside took my sore body and got in my warm bed and slept until seven o'clock and been and and then felt terrible about it all day but I still feel terrible all day because I'm sore. <laughs> I took a fall. Um, but, you know, the just the determination to be consistent. Yeah. Is what got me up off that ground and got me into my car into the gym. Yeah. I was thinking a lot when I saw you post on it, I was thinking a lot about it. Right. And dissecting it maybe more than you intended. But it really, the the symbolism of it really hit hard, especially for what I'd already kind of planned on talking about today. Right on. And in, in my experience for how, how God had to reach me, right. And how he had to reach Manasseh and how he's had to reach, I would argue most of us, most of us that have had a really powerful transformational encounter with God. It came down to a very similar circumstance. And that is him either, knocking you flat on your back or allowing you to fall flat on your back to force you to look up. I think we're so focused on our own way, right? Keeping our eyes fixed Mm -hmm. on the path ahead of us, no matter how wrong that path is, he's asking you to look up, right? He's telling you to look up. And when you ignore him long enough, eventually he's going to knock you backwards. So you have to look up. And I think that's what he did for Manasseh here. Right. Well, before it's funny that you say that the specific path, um, because I and I was telling telling my wife this at lunch today. I when I, as I was getting ready, I was thinking to myself, "You better." So where my car was parked, I could either go pretty much straight out the door to the straight to the car, mm-hmm. or I could take a little jog around through like through a grassy area in my yard. And the straight path had that big ice patch on it. And the the kind of the curved, half-curved path through the grass 
had no ice. So I thought to myself, you better take that path because if you fall out there, you're going to be out there like two hours on the cold ground because Holly doesn't wake up and go to work for another two hours. So I thought, and it's like, just make sure you walk that right path. And I'll, I'll be danged if I didn't walk out that door. I saw my car and I walked straight to my car. Yep. And that's when I fell. So you saying that about making sure you pick your path. I was like, okay. Yeah. Obviously I hate to say I fell for a reason, but that's just like you said it. And I, and I shared that so people would dissect it mm-hmm. hopefully and get, and get a little bit. Cause that's kind of, I didn't know what to put into words, how it struck me, but it did. Yeah. I could tell the way you worded it that you wanted, you, you knew somebody needed to get something out of it. Right. And I, I think you were right. Like I say, I think there's a powerful lesson in that as simple as it seems on the surface, you know, you, you fell on some ice, right? You're sore, you're irritated, right. yeah, <laughs> you, you powered yeah. your way through it. There's a, I think there's a powerful lesson in it. I think often he can, he can speak to us in the most powerful way through what seems to be on the surface, the simplest lesson. And like I say, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's what he did with Manasseh. Manasseh, what strikes me about Manasseh is when he was in abject luxury and comfort in the palace, surrounded by all of his friends, he never repented. But when God knocked him down and threw him into an Assyrian prison cell, immediately he looked up. Mm-hmm. Immediately he sought God. And God used Manasseh to prove that no matter how far away you slide away from him, you're only one humble step back. Just one humble step back. That's all it takes. That is amazing. If God can rescue the backslidden Manasseh with all the guilt that he had on his shoulders, there's nobody listening to this podcast that's outside of his reach. Right. He's just one humble step away. Micah, and, and I, not our Micah, but the prophet Micah. I was like, oh, <laughs> the yeah, big Micah. Micah, yeah. <laughs> Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says, For though I fall... I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, Yahweh will be my light. And that tells me that God uses falls. He uses our slips and our stumbles to teach us a lesson about himself. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I knew about Yahweh. I knew about Jesus before. I was faithful to a degree, right? Always believed. I've always been a believer, you know, I've always done the things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that you're supposed to do, but I didn't have that personal encounter with him, right? Right. Until he knocked me down and forced me to, to take my eyes away from my own way for, for a second and only give me the option to look up to him. That's when everything changed, right? And yeah. I think that's when it changes for all of us. I've noticed in my experience, the ones that struggle the most seem to be the ones that never have never had any struggles or stumbles or hardships. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird paradox, but it seems like the, it seems like the tougher the path he gives us, the more apt we are to run to him. It shouldn't be that way. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a boast, but it is, it is that way. I think we learn something about his love when we see how far he's willing to go for us, mm-hmm. right? There's something interesting also in that Manasseh story, a little bit deeper, and maybe this is reaching a little. Right. I'm 
willing to admit this is a little opinionated. But Hebrew, you know, we've talked about the Hebrew. I'm, I love the Hebrew language. Yeah. It's very, very deep. And it's, it's deep right down to the individual letters. Even the letters have meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And when we've talked before that Hebrew is one of those languages, they don't have a separate numbering system. The, the Hebrew letters uh, are numbers also. So like the, the fifth Hebrew, Hebrew letter represents the number five. Okay. Right. They don't have different numbers and letters. Right. It's just, it's it, that. So, so the number five in Hebrew would be represented by the Hebrew letter, hey. Hey, as in hey you. Mm-hmm. H-E-Y. It's the fifth letter. Okay. And it's a, it's a compound. Hopefully I'm remembering this right. I think I am. <laughs> it's a compound letter. And what that means is it's, it's, formed, it's formed by the combination of two other Hebrew letters. So it's actually formed when you combine the letter Yod and the letter Dalet. Okay? Okay. The Yod represents, in pictographic Hebrew, it represents the hand or the arm, the open hand or the arm. And it's actually representative of the hand of Yahweh. So it can be representative of his hand of acceptance or his hand of judgment. Right? Okay. His presence is right. essentially what it represents. And it's actually the first letter in both his name, Yahweh. His name, Yahweh, starts with the letter Yod. And the Hebrew name for Jesus, Yeshua, starts with the letter Yod. So both of, both of those names begin with the presence of God. That's not accidental. Right. Right. The second letter, Dalet, it represents, it's, it's represented pictographically as the open door. But it can also represent poorness. But not poorness in the sense of like material things. Mm-hmm. It's more like poorness of spirit. So humility or brokenness. Okay. The hay, when they come together, the hay forms, it's a little stick figure man is what it looks like with their arms up. Right. And what it, what it represents is the person singing praises to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the person in praises to him. So when we put all these things together, we have a pictographic representation of coming to Yahweh, humble and broken, coming into his presence and being transformed to sing praises to him. That's what we have represented with the hay being formed by the Yod and the Dalet. Right. And Manasseh, do you remember how long he reigned as king? Oh. I just read it. I'm not going to rewind it for you either. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> 55 years. Five and five. Now, the hay represents yeah. transformational grace in the presence of Yahweh. Grace upon grace. I don't think that's accidental. No, I know that's like digging, it. but I don't think that's accidental. Right. When we have a guy like Manasseh, who, who is probably the most profound picture of God's willingness to graciously forgive the most undeserving among us, and he served exactly 55 years. And when you look at the letter hay, the number five, and that's what it represents, that's awesome. Right. Right. Transformation is, is key. Right. He was right. never... He was never going to be able to turn away from his sin on his own, by his own power. He could try. But until he had that encounter with Yahweh to transform his heart, we've talked before on the podcast, right? The heart heart issue is the first thing that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. Obeying him matters. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, obeying him matters because God was so mad at him for his disobedience and his sin that he cast him into Assyria. Right. But the heart condition has to be dealt with first. Yeah, you try to try to you try to obey him with the wrong heart, 
it's just going to turn you the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to discourage you. You're, you're never going to be able to accomplish what you aim to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of a, a modern version of him, but John Newton, he's the author of the song Amazing Grace. Okay. And he has a, I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version of his story, but he has an awesome story. He was actually a slave trader. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. He was a slave trader. He was rough. He was a really bad dude by his own admission. Right. He was engaged right. in, in, in debauchery and he was just, he, he, he talked about how mean he was and just ugly and nasty. And he became a believer at some point. And he talked about how he tried to turn from his sin and he just couldn't do it. He knew it was wrong. He knew that debauchery was wrong. He knew, he knew the things he had done was wrong. How ugly and mean he was and unloving he was, was wrong. And he tried and tried and tried by his own efforts to turn from it. And he said he just couldn't do it. He'd always just like slide back. He never could do it until he had an experience. He said that he had, he was on a voyage at sea and a storm hit, a massive storm hit. And they were afraid it was going to sink the boat. And he could only turn to God. Couldn't row their way out of it. Couldn't sail their way out of it. The only thing he could do was look up and plead with God. It was March 10th, 1748, and he points to that day that he turned to God in the midst of a, of a very real physical storm that his heart was transformed, and it just changed him that day. He said that after that, everything was different. That's when he wrote Amazing Grace, right? Mm-hmm. About how God can transform the heart of even a wretch like him, right. a miserable, worthless wretch like him, and turn him into something special. Spent the rest of his three decades preaching after that, preaching wow. on the grace of God. Went from a slave trader who could not turn from his sin, just couldn't fix the habits that were eating him alive to that one pivotal moment in the middle of the storm and transformed him into one of the most, I don't know, inspirational songwriters and preachers that's ever lived. Right. Only God could do that. Right. Right. I just think we need to be reminded of it. I don't know why I felt like we needed to talk about Manasseh again. I know we've talked about him a lot. I mean, there's just, there's so many similarities, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a valuable lesson to remember, like, you know, as deep as he was in his sin, you know, with the, all, all it took was a repentive heart mm-hmm. and a, and a meaningful prayer Yeah, and, and God heard him. Yeah. Right. One step of humility. I suspect it goes back to what we, we kind of alluded to earlier with just how, joyless the world is right now. Mm-hmm. I think people are losing hope. You know, I can't be the only one that has a hard time believing that God could forgive their sins. Right? That can't right. be just me. And when you live in a when you live in a culture that's just drained of joy, it makes that even more difficult to overcome. Right? And I think right. we need to be reminded of accounts like like Cayman Asa, like John Newton, right? To see that, yeah, he can. <laughs> mm-hmm. He can. You can't, you can't stumble so far away that he's not willing to take you back again. You just, you have to be willing to step toward him, right? He's right. not going to step all, all 1,000 steps in your direction. At some point, you're going to have to take that one step. Right. He may make you very uncomfortable to get you to take that step. Mm-hmm. But once you get to that point, you're only going to have one of two ways to go. Right. 
slide right back into the devil's trap where you've always been or reach out to him and beg him to lift you up. Right. And he will. Yep. I think it's a, a good thing to remember too when, you know, we're trying to be a reflection of him. So, you know, when you get that call after six months of not hearing from somebody yeah. or five years and at, you know, at the onset of it, somebody wronged you, you know, the, a, a true reflection of him would be an open heart. I agree. 100%. I've seen in, in some of the faith communities that I'm a part of, I see a lot of individuals that it's almost like they're looking for reasons not to forgive people that have hurt them. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not naming names, but I've noticed this with a few of them. Whenever someone brings up the need to forgive and how forgiveness can really heal the heart of the person that was wronged. And there's truth in that. Trust me, there's truth in that. When you, when you reach out to someone that genuinely hurt you and you tell them, look, I forgive you. And I'm asking you to forgive me for anything that I did in response that wasn't good. There's healing in that. Mm-hmm. There is. Every time I see that in this certain community that I'm in, there's a handful of people that are quick to rush out and tell them, well, according to this verse, it says that we don't have to forgive until they ask for forgiveness first. Look, I get that. I get that, I get that forgiveness, true, full, complete forgiveness and reconciliation requires repentance. But I think the key there is that forgiveness with reconciliation requires repentance. Right. Right. Forgiveness by itself doesn't necessarily. Right. Right. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between forgiving somebody's wrong, being forgiving about their wrong, and being willing to reconcile a relationship and put yourself in harm's way again. Right. Now, if somebody's assaulted you in a vile way or something, I'm not saying to go back out on dates with them. I'm not saying right. to reconcile with that person. That's a different thing. But I feel like too often we're looking for excuses not to forgive. Mm-hmm. And that's just not healthy. Right. I think we. I think a lot of people get <clears throat> reconciliation mixed up with forgiveness. I agree. And, uh, you know, because the person's not reconciled with them, they're not going to forgive them. When I think there's a lot of times where it needs to be forgiveness first and then reconciliation after. I agree. I think an argument can be made when you dig in. And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to read any further, please read to Chronicles 33 for that account. It's very powerful. Those of you listening, but the forgiveness for Manasseh occurred in the prison cell when he reached out to Yahweh and pled with him in humility. I believe the reconciliation came after Yahweh restored him to Jerusalem and he made good on his repentance by mm-hmm. casting out the idols and not turning back to Baal, Baal and sacrificing mm-hmm. kids anymore. Right. He turned away. He, he made action steps toward turning away from his evil. Right. That was what led to the reconciliation. The forgiveness occurred in the prison cell. I'm going to say this again. Forgiveness occurred in the prison cell. Positionally reconciling Manasseh back into Yahweh's presence occurred after the repentance in Jerusalem mm-hmm. when he restored him. Those are two different things. Because it's important to remember, Yahweh didn't move away from Manasseh. Yahweh doesn't move away from any of us. We move away from him, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point, we have to pivot back, face him again, and move back in that direction toward being reconciled with him. 
And then he will pick us up and place us positionally back into reconciliation. But the forgiveness comes before the positional reconciliation. Yep. Right? Those are two different things. We can't be looking for excuses not to forgive because he doesn't. Right? Right. I just, I think that's, I think it's dangerous and it's unhealthy. And the ones that engage in it, I don't see evidence that they're, they're kind and compassionate and loving toward everyone, including those they disagree with. I just don't see evidence of that. I can look back and, you know, I'm not going to name anybody else or point anybody else out. I'll look at myself. When I look at the difference between when he sifted me real hard before and after, I wasn't a forgiving person back then. I was using that same excuse. And there was no love there. I know people that looking back had warned me, look, I see evidence that, that love's fading in you. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm fine. Right. That was my excuse. Looking back, I see they were right. And now in my heart, I feel like we talked about the, at the top of this episode, I feel they were right because I feel the difference now. Right. Right. Looking back, you don't recognize how dead your heart is in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's not until after he revives your heart that you look back and you realize, man, how did I survive like that? Mm-hmm. How did I survive like that? So numb and miserable because you don't recognize it in the moment. Right. And that, that unforgiving attitude will deepen that deadness. Mm-hmm. It will. It's dangerous. Yeah. I would rather forgive too much than forgive too little. Right. Well, that's the, and that's the, the key issue was you, you know, the curved grassy path that doesn't mm-hmm. have any ice on it. You know, that path, but you were, you're determined to get to that door. So yeah. you take the easy path, the straight path. And it took you slipping on that ice in, in your sense. It took God putting you on your back to look at him yeah, to get you off that path. Yeah. The path that you were determined. No, this is the right one. This is the this is the one I need to be on. No, nope. no, you weren't. You should have been over here. Yeah, and that's you know. I, I like how I say over here, and I make the motion like you can see me making the curve. I think motion. they can feel it. <laughs> I think they can just feel it. <laughs> Since you bring that up, you know, in like determination, that's a two that's a two sided coin, right? Because you 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 brought up I was I was determined to be on that wrong path. Determination can be a great thing. Right. When it's properly directed towards seeking after Yahweh, seeking after his righteousness, seeking after reconciliation with him, it's a great thing. But it's so easily transformed into stubbornness mm-hmm. and stiff neckedness. And it's it's so subtle, it's almost imperceptible when it happens to you. Yep. Right. It's it's almost it's very difficult to recognize the difference when it's happening to you between righteous determination and just being a stiff necked, stubborn pig-headed hater. It's very subtle. It's not so subtle for those on the outside looking in. They can see it. You know what I mean? The the people can see your fruit. It's really hard to recognize it when it's you. And that's why I'm, I I don't know, I didn't plan on talking about forgiveness, but I feel like it's important. I think that's one of the key areas that can really deepen that that dangerous path is that unwillingness to forgive people. Mm -hmm. That's, I think... It's not the only path toward a hard heart, but I think it's one of the quickest paths to it. Mm. I really do. I think it's one of the quickest paths we can take. And it's not a path we see him take. That was one thing I wanted to, to mention. 
I won't read the whole thing, but it kind of it kind of ties in a little bit to what we've been talking about. It's in First Samuel, uh, chapter twelve. Now, I'm not going to read the account, but I'll just sort of summarize it. It's when the people ask for a king. Remember that, right? So up to that point, Yahweh had been their king, and they went through this period of the judges period, right? They're coming off of that. Samuel's their prophet now, and he's their 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 judge at this point. We've gone through the this judges period as accounted in the book of Judges. It's where they go back and forth between. You know, they'll, they'll slip into idolatry, they'll be worshiping Moloch, and then they get oppressed because they positionally move themselves away from God. Mm-hmm. So they no longer experience his blessings. You can only experience the blessings of God when you're positionally in God. Right. Right. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. Yep. Right. He doesn't owe you blessings when you're outside of his presence. So they move themselves outside of his presence, experience persecution, experience hardship. So then they turn back. Oh, Yahweh, please rescue us. And you, okay. So he'd rescue him. Yep. He'd send a judge to rescue him, right? And it went back and forth over and over and over again. And eventually the people, rather than do the sensible thing, the thing that makes sense and say, you know what? We're just going to stay in God's presence. We're, we're not going to move outside of his presence anymore. We're going to be consistent. Yes, we're going <laughs> to be consistent. We're going to be determined in a righteous in a righteous way, right? Be on that right. right path. No, 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 they don't do that. They say, we want a king like the nations around us have. And Samuel didn't like it, Right. Right. Obviously, Samuel was awesome. So he goes to God and tells God what they asked, that, you know, we want a king like the nations have. We want a human king to rule over us, to fight our battles for us. We don't want Yahweh to be our king anymore. We want a king like everybody else has. And Yahweh, he sort of comforts Samuel. He's like, they haven't rejected you. <laughs> They're rejecting me like they've been rejecting me since I brought him out of Egypt. I'm used to it. It's heartbreaking. When you read what God's saying there, it's really heartbreaking. He's like, yeah. I'm just, I'm used to it at this point, you know? I can't get through to them. They're just, they're rejecting me like they always do. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to the people, he says to Samuel, and I want you to warn them about all the bad things that the king is going to do to them. Not just this, not just this king, but kings in general throughout the, throughout the centuries. These are the things that the king is going to do. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons and force them into, into the military. He's going to force your daughters into labor. He's going to take a tenth of everything that you, that you make for yourself, Right. It's right. not going to be good for you. I've been an easy king for you. But what he's saying is, I'm a good king. Mm-hmm. I don't take from you more than I need. I always look out for your best interest when you stay under my canopy. I always fight your battles. I always protect you. But this king that you're asking for, he won't do that. He's going to look out for himself because that's human nature. Yep. People look out for themselves. And that's what this king is going to do. So he almost gives him a second chance. Right. So he sends Samuel to warn them about this before he commits to giving them what they want. And they say, that's fine. We don't care. We want a king. We don't need Yahweh to be our king. We want a human king. It's very stubborn. There's a reason I'm bringing this up. Right. It's, it's, no. it's, got a, it's got a powerful right. lesson about his mercy at the end of it. But anyway, so Samuel goes back to Yahweh, tells them what they responded. And he's like, okay, tell them I'm going to give them a king. That's fine. But he gives them a harsh rebuke. Through Samuel. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. He harshly rebukes them and tells them, you've acted incredibly wickedly. You've been miserable since you left Egypt. You're never happy with anything that I do. Right? Harshly rebukes them. And then it hits the people. So the people, when, while Samuel's giving them this rebuke from Yahweh, the people then acknowledge their guilt. They say, we've, we've acted wickedly. Right? He causes right. them to fear. Mm-hmm. He harshly rebukes them and intentionally causes them to fear, right? 
Right. They said, we've acted wickedly. And please, they, they beg Samuel, please beg Yahweh not to destroy us for the wicked thing that we've asked for. And Yahweh's immediate response after that, after he just rebuked them harshly for rejecting him again, like they've been rejecting him ever since they left Egypt, was to say, do not fear. Very first words out of his mouth. Just got through rebuking them. Just got through telling them they were wicked. And as soon as they acknowledged their guilt, as soon as they acknowledged how sinful they had been, the first thing Yahweh does is comfort them and say, do not fear. Just follow me. There's going to be consequences because I'm going to give you the king you asked for. There's going to be consequences, but don't be afraid. Just follow me. Don't turn aside anymore, and I will protect you. That's how far he's willing to go to forgive. He wasn't looking for an excuse to not forgive them that day. Right. He was looking for an excuse to be merciful. He was seeking out an excuse to be merciful to those people. We need to have his heart. Yep. And if we're looking for excuses not to be forgiving, we don't have his heart. I don't care how devoted you are to the Sabbath. That's a good thing. We should be. I don't care how devoted you are to the appointed times. That's a good thing. We should be. If you're not forgiving, those outward observances count for nothing. We don't have his heart. And the heart matters more. It's got to start there. Got anything else? No. This might be a little bit of a short episode. Good one, I think, though. Yeah, I think so. I was like, you know, to full disclosure, we'll just be transparent to yeah. our audience. I was nervous about this because I hadn't really yeah. super planned for it. I'd planned yeah. on this episode being right. completely different. We were supposed to have two people on with us and right. continue our discussion on the intent for his covenant people from, from a couple of weeks ago. And right. decided to just go ahead and start our open discussion episode series. I think it kind of, monthly series. I think it kind of formed exactly the way he wanted it to. I think so, so too. Yeah. So for those of you listening, this is going to be a monthly thing. We'll have we'll we'll continue to have our 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 dedicated main topic episodes that we have pre planned out like we've been doing, but we'll take we'll take one week break every month to just do this. And right. normally it won't just be Chris and I doing this. It'll be we'll have mm-hmm. guests on mm-hmm. to just talk. Just talk from the heart and see where it goes. I think I think these conversations matter. Yep. I think when we just let the spirit move and let him guide the conversation. I think these these conversations can be pretty powerful. Right. And okay. we'll, we'll start off doing this as a monthly thing. And I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe eventually it'll be an every other week thing. <laughs> maybe. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But for now, it'll be a monthly thing. Yeah. No also, too, I mean, yeah, if, if you know, if you're uh, listening, you're on social media, and you got something you want to ask, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Carl, but if you got something you want to, asking me and discuss more or if something I've said needs more elaboration, please let us know. That's what these episodes will be for. No, absolutely. We'll, we'll pencil that in for sure. Yeah. I'm hoping that we can get some more interaction from those of you listening on, on Facebook, no pressure, but if you have any questions or anything you'd like to hear us discuss or hash out or anything you want us to talk about, these will be the episodes we do it on. We mm-hmm. won't do it on our normal weekly episode when we have our main topic. Cause I, you know, we'll have to keep those open discussion segments as short as possible, but when we just have a full one to two hours to just talk, that's when I'd like to to tackle any questions that you all right. have or any topics you'd like us to dive into. I know that Sarah asked us to dig into the kingdom. What does that mean? 
what is what what is the kingdom of God? I mean, I'll go back to her question to make sure that I'm not butchering that or misrepresenting right. that. But you know, when when we talk about the kingdom of God, what does that really look like? What is the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Right? What's the difference between the kingdom of God from a spiritual perspective, like we're advancing now, and the physical kingdom, the right. way it's coming? Uh, maybe we'll do that right. next month. Also, it's funny you mentioned Sarah because I was thinking just the other day. Um, shout out. Uh, <laughs> So we had our episode about Joseph and uh, Ronnie had come up with a very, very low sum uh, for the, the, the pieces of silver that was paid for Joseph. Yes. Um, so, and then Sarah came back and said that actually it was, it's probably a lot more than that. Yeah. For them consi- considerably higher. Right. Actually, considerably yeah. higher. And I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not rebuking either one of those low high numbers but what i am what, what i started thinking was is if that so he was sold to 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 slave traders mm-hmm. not to so um you know of course they would have been trying to look for a bargain right right to because they wanted to make profit on him yeah they right? have to so yeah, they were, account for food and provisioning right, right. yeah mm-hmm. but then so so in my line of thinking, the the lower amount probably was was more scarring. I think that's the mm-hmm. point we were trying to make was that the 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 lower amount was actually like more insult. Like he got yeah. such an embarrassing low price. You know, like the the slave traders were probably dancing in the street. Hey, we played. You know, what was it like? We we at first we figured like five dollars or something. It was five or six dollars. Yeah, and actually, five and ten. Yeah, it was. But uh, but yeah, I just that popped into my head, so I thought I'd mention it. Yeah, that um, like and and that's that's kind. Of, I mentioned that because I like that back and forth with our with our listeners. That, I do too. You know, I, and and like you know, like I said, like I think she threw out one of the figures might have been like was it six thousand. Yeah, something. I think I I don't remember off the top or of my head. I think three, it was anywhere from a few yeah, hundred to to a, to a few thousand. It few depended thousand. on the the conversion rate right. of what. I mean, it's it's really hard to know for sure what right. those valuations were that long ago. You know, you have multiple 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 economies coming and going, right? right. So those conversions, it's not an exact science, mm-hmm. but I would say she's probably closer to to right on that than than the ten dollar sum. It, right. it makes more sense that it was significantly higher. She's what she found is probably pretty close. Right. And that's, but, but I think what, you know, if we start looking at it like that, like in my mind, I was almost thinking, Oh, they got a pretty fair price on that. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's why they called out the exact sum. Like, I don't think that's why the Bible would have called out the exact sum to say, Hey, they got a pretty fair price for them. I think it was called out in the sense of, they actually probably didn't get a very good price for them. Right. My focus on it, less so than how it would convert to our our valuation, was on the prophetic implications of it. Exactly. That, that, that's I guess that's what I'm to, saying. Yeah. You said it a lot better than I did. <laughs> and no, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's it's a little bit of a teaser for next week. So what we planned on doing today was continuing our discussion on our our intent series. Mm-hmm. What that means, God's intent for His covenant people. What what you know what does that mean to be in covenant? What are the expectations? Basically, we're pointing to Sinai. We're pointing, I'm basically trying to show and prove that Jesus points us back to Sinai before the golden calf, before the fall. Right. Right. Um, Point is, 
we were supposed to talk about the statutes and ordinances immediately following the Ten Commandments. That's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the first half of those statutes, so probably t- chapter 21, 22. Mm-hmm. It talks a lot about slavery, how to handle slaves, how to treat slaves compared to heirs. And that's one of the things that just some maybe some something to like flip around in your mind a little bit until next week. I want to kind of show through the statutes how God teaches us the difference between a slave and a son. Right. Because there is a difference. And I think that's part of, you know, that that Joseph account. He went from being a son of promise to a slave. And then we know the end of the story where that led. Right. Right. But there is a difference. Right. There is a pay. You went from being a son to in a prison cell to being lifted back up again. I think there's prophetic implications to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Jesus rescued us from slave status. Right. right. Jesus rescued us from the prison cell, mm-hmm. essentially. Brought us back to that promise of, of being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we need to understand what the, what the responsibilities are. Right. right. We can't claim all the blessings and refuse to acknowledge the responsibilities. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. And that's why we're digging into that. So to, uh, we have a few minutes. To close this out, I actually wanted to read Ephesians chapter 2. Because it really ties into what we've been talking about. And and because you said it earlier. (laughs) Go ahead, flip it up there. I think it fits with what we've been discussing. Right. Somebody had mentioned Ephesians 2 less than an hour before I came to record. And I looked at it and I'm like, man, that's that's exactly where I think the conversation is going to go. Transformation. You know what I mean? That transformation from one way to another. So let's just read through that. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Emphasis, refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like anyone else. Notice what he says there, it's our nature that led us into those sins. Mm-hmm. Remember what I talked about with John Newton? He tried and tried and tried to do right. And I can identify with what he's talking about. I tried. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. And I'd try as I might. And something in me always yanked me back into the sin every single time until I had that transformation moment. Right. And really haven't had the desire since. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what he's talking about here, this sin nature that just pulls us back to sin. It needs to be dealt with. Okay, continuing in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus, pointing to his willingness to go above and beyond to find reasons to forgive like we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. It's essentially what he's talking about here. Stop me if there's anything that you want to talk about. Okay. We're not in a huge rush. God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Notice that dichotomy he sets up there? You haven't been saved because of your good works, because of your good deeds, but you're going to have to do good deeds and good works Mm -hmm. once you get transformed. You won't be able to help it. He's going to cause it. Right, he's going to cause you to do these right. things if you've been transformed. You won't be able to stop yourself. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Exactly. But that that borderline heretical ideology that because we haven't earned our salvation, what we do doesn't matter. We don't have to do good deeds. Scripture just doesn't verify that. Right. Right. Your deeds matter. We've talked before about Revelation chapters two and three when he talks about this yeah. the seven churches. Right. You know what our podcast is named after the Church mm-hmm. of Philadelphia. Every single one, he says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Every single one, good or bad, I know your deeds. Our our works matter. What we do with our transformation, what we do with our salvation, it does matter. Right. And you see, you do see, you know, eight and nine cherry picked so often than not Mm -hmm. that, you know. And then they leave out 10. Yeah. And then they leave out 10 that, yeah, you, you, you you know, you shouldn't boast about your works, Mm -hmm. but. You're going to be made to do them. Right. You know, like you forget it's that after 10 that, but right? yeah. everybody leave that off. Right. Exactly. It's like that if then thing. They don't mm-hmm. like the then part. And the reason I, I wanted to read this in closing is because I knew I was going to talk about Manasseh and you see it with him. Right. He was forgiven by the grace of God in the prison cell in Assyria. But what did he do when he got back to Jerusalem? Did good work. Put it to work. He put it to work. It's a great way to put it. He took the he took the idols out. He cast them outside of the city. He he started worshiping Yahweh. He acknowledged Yahweh was the only God. It doesn't just say that he acknowledged Yahweh was God. It specifically says he acknowledged Yahweh was the only God. Right. That implies that he was still worshiping Yahweh. He was just worshiping other gods at the same time. And God doesn't accept half worship. Yeah. He he he's a jealous God. What that means is that he will not accept sharing worship with demons, nor should he. Right. Or should he be accepted to, right? Like you said, Manasseh put it to work. That was after the grace given to him. Mm-hmm. Continuing in, in verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. That word there is important. And that's another thing that's frequently ignored this part, used. That means before you were saved, you were one way. Now you're another way. Now listen to what he says here. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, you were, pr- who who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts, <laughs> right? The heart matters more than the outward observance. In those days before, remember, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Let me read that again. Again, this mm-hmm. is past tense, before their salvation, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. So if they were one way, they were outside of Israel. They were outside of the covenant of Sinai, because that's the covenant promise he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Covenant given to Abraham, the covenant given to Isaac, and the covenant given to Moses at Sinai. Those are the covenant promises. You were excluded from the people group, group of Israel, you were excluded from the Sinai covenant. What's that, impl- what's that imply that we are now after our salvation? That you are included. That you are included. So this, 
this doctrine from the pulpits that's been prevalent since the Council of Nicaea 1,500 years ago, that we're not Israel. We're a separate group called the church. We don't have to be in the covenant. That's for the Jews. That's not for us. Paul right here says, clearly, if you look at his wording correctly, we were outside of those things. We were outside of being part of Israel. We were outside of the covenant, but if you've truly been saved and you're within Christ, if you're abiding in Christ, now you are Israel. You're grafted into the tree, as he says in Romans chapter 11. That's Israel. Mm -hmm. You are in Israel now. You're no longer an outsider. You were an outsider. You were a foreigner. Now you're brought near. Now you're included in Israel. You're part of the commonwealth of Israel, which means you're part of the covenant promise, which means the expectations given for that kingdom of priest covenant at Sinai applies to you. Mm -hmm. Paul's given no third option here. You're either Israel and part of the covenant, or you're not saved. Those are the two, that's the dichotomy he creates here. Mm -hmm. Those are your two options. And the only way to argue against this is to wildly twist his words, to quote Galatians wildly out of context, and then to lean heavily on quotes from the church fathers that twist scripture into a pretzel to justify the attitude that we're not Israel, that's Jew stuff, we can do different things, different ways, however we want. Right? Manasseh tried that. <laughs> yeah, right. It didn't work out. It didn't well. work out. Right. So I'm going to continue. That, that was the big point I wanted to make there. Continuing in verse, I'm just going to reread verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Notice that. The outside of Israel, there is no hope. Outside of being part of his people, his covenant, there is no hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Let me read that again. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So this, pausing, I'm sorry, this, this attitude that there's a set of standards that God has for the Jews and a separate set of standards that he has for the so-called Gentile church, that's not what Paul says here. He says that we're brought together in one body. You're either one body with Jesus or you're on the outside looking at right. Right. If, you know, let me ask you, if you, if you had two kids, right, mm -hmm. you have, I'm doing this on the spot, so maybe this would be a bad analogy. I'll try to formulate this in a way that's coherent and makes sense. Right on. You have a, say you have a 16-year-old girl and a 14-year-old boy. And you say to the 16-year-old girl, you have to be home at 1030, strict curfew, every single night, right? Right. Well, weekend. We'll say it's 930 on school nights. Okay. Okay. If you're one minute late, there's going to be severe consequences for you. But you say to the younger child, you know what? You can be out as long as you want. I'd really like for you to be in at 1030, like your older, like your older sibling. But if you're an hour or two late, nah, well, might give you a slap on the wrist. You know, we'll joke around about you can tell me about your night and then we'll move on. I'll extend to you grace. Would you call that person a good parent or a bad parent? I would call them a different parent. A different parent. Would you call what they're, yeah. It, I, I wouldn't say they were treated. I always, 
I, I'll, I'll say that word it like that because I always hate going, uh, you're a bad parent. Well, you parent differently than I do. Let me word this a different <laughs> way. Would you say what they're doing is, is engaging in a double standard? Yes. In an unfair absolutely. double standard? Okay. Yes. Would you, would you call engaging in double standards with children good parenting? No. No. Isn't that kind of what we say about the Father in Heaven when we say that he has this strict set of rules for the Jews that they have to adhere to? For there'll be serious consequences from God. But us in the church, we don't have to obey that stuff. We get grace. We don't have to obey these covenant rules. We, we can ignore these parts that we don't really like. We can, we can Christianize these practices that he strictly prohibits. We can kind of do whatever we want as long as we adhere to like the Noahide laws, you know, the, the, the basic moral things, the things that we, that we slap a moral tag on. As long as we obey that, we're good. Right. We can ignore the rest of the stuff. Those Jews, they got to obey that law. Isn't that kind of what we're what we're saying about him? Uh, it's absolutely a double standard. Right. He's not a God of double standards. He makes that really clear. Right. And Paul makes this clear here. He brings the two people groups into one. It's one people, Israel, one standard, the covenant. Period. Yep. You have to twist Paul into an absolute pretzel here to say that he's saying anything otherwise. Right. right. We've got to stop twisting the word of God. What we say matters. What we teach matters. There's a difference. There's a difference between preaching from the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. Right. I think most. I don't want to say most because I can't objectively say that. Too many pastors, too many religious leaders, Christian leaders, are preaching from the Word of God, but they're not really preaching the whole Word of God. They're they're yeah. preaching the Word of God up to a point, up to the point where it might turn too many people away. If, if, if preaching the whole truth of the Word of God might get you to that, that critical stage of just too many people walking away, too many tithing people walking away to maintain your bottom line, they won't preach it. Right. That's just a fact. It really is. It's a fact. They preach what's comfortable for the most part. They'll preach some uncomfortable stuff if it's, if, if it's moral things that the vast majority of us agree with like abortion and homosexuality. But honestly, this doctrine of do as thou wilt that's infested the church for centuries is, is encouraging a lot of pastors to even kind of renege on that. Yep. A lot of pastors don't even preach against abortion. There's a church here in town that won't because they know it'll be unpopular. Yep. A lot of them won't preach on transgender stuff, issues, homosexuality, despite the fact the Bible's clear about it. And it all stems back to that same doctrine. There's a rule for Jews. There's a rule for the church. And the rule for the church is not very strict right we can pretty much shift the line however we want we move it with the culture instead of with the word of god right and leaning on paul to justify that paul's pretty clear here one people one covenant one standard yep. are you in or out <laughs> y'all right. or y'all out so i'll close this up the rest of this what he says here for Christ himself, starting in verse 14, sorry, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. <clears throat> we'll get into that later. Those are the separation laws, like the veil. They were the consequence of the heart issue that was exemplified mm -hmm. during the golden calf incident, by the way, after the, after the covenant of Sinai. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. He's not saying he's getting rid of his 
commandments here, by the way, his covenant commandments. There is a difference between the covenant commandments that we've been reading from Sinai and the consequences that resulted afterward that separated the people. Sin separates. We'll get into that more next week and the week following. Sin separates, and there are consequences to separation. For example, only having one high priest that can enter the presence of God and only once a year. People not having access to God, right? Having a veil to separate you from the presence of God when before he was walking in their midst. Those are the laws and the commandments that separated. That's what God, that's what Christ removed. Does that make sense? He didn't remove the Ten Commandments, including the Fourth. He didn't remove the statutes and ordinances immediately following. He removed the veil of separation and the laws related to separation from him. That's the proper understanding here of what he's talking about. He did this by, oh, sorry, starting in verse 16. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. It's all about transformation, right? Dealing with the ugliness of our heart and transforming us to be made new so we can be caused to do the right thing, right? right? It's, It's so vain to try to do it according to your own efforts. Yep. You can try. I tried. John Newton tried. Right. I don't know if Manasseh tried. It didn't seem like he did. <laughs> right. Right. He may not have tried. I don't know. He tried yep. after. Yep. You've got to surrender. Do you have any final thoughts? No, just, just going to reiterate, you have to fix the heart before you can follow the law properly. Yes. Yeah, we can lecture on the commandments all day long and I you know the reason we're digging into this this series on the intent is because there are certain things that have been intentionally ignored or concealed or goads being kicked against right but you've got to deal with the heart first if you have not fully surrendered your heart to him knowing the commandments isn't going to matter outwardly obeying the commandments isn't going to matter you're still going to deal with that heart issue you're going to be unforgiving. You're going to be hateful. You're going to find reasons to be offended at everything everybody says. And it's going to build and grow and callous your heart. And if you let it get too far, it may callous to the point to the, to the point where you just sear your conscience and don't even acknowledge your own guilt anymore. And I pray that none of you listening ever get to that point. I think I got close. I really do. I think I got dangerously close. And I think that's why he sifted me so hard and so violently, because that's what it took. And if I if I live the rest of my life warning everyone I can to never let themselves get to the point that I let myself get to, it'll be a life well lived. Got anything else? 
I guess what we're going to close. Like I say, next week we will start up our intent series again with the statutes and ordinances, and that'll be fun. And hopefully we'll have Ronnie and Micah back. See how it goes. Uh-huh. But uh, I enjoy this. This Me is good. Too. We'll do this more often. Like I say, this will be a once a month thing. So hopefully those of you listening enjoyed this as much as we did. Hopefully. That's Got probably the most important thing, but yeah, yeah well. Learn some stuff. If you don't enjoy it, next time you see No Holds Barred popped up in your feed, I guess ignore it. I don't know. <laughs> I hope you don't. Give us a chance. <laughs> I think it was good. I think it'll be better when we have more more people to add to the conversation. Maybe yeah. conversations are easier when you have people to actually converse, converse with. with. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this went really good. I liked it. So, But I think we're going to close it out. All right. So I want to thank you all for joining us, those of you listening. We do pray that this has been a blessing to you and an edification. If you have any questions or feedback, be sure and find us on Facebook. We have a group there. It's an open group. It's That Philly Faith Fellowship. Again, it's That Philly Faith Fellowship. And join the conversation. If you'd like to help this ministry grow, then we simply ask that you follow or subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform of choice that you get your podcasts from. And uh, leave a like or positive review if it's available. And then share us with your friends. If you're on YouTube, just like, comment, subscribe. All those things help us a lot. And as always, and most importantly, keep your feet steady upon the path. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and pursue that Philly faith. Until next time, shalom. God bless. Singing glory.